0: Psalm chapter 61, it's the psalm of David during a time of great anxiety in his life. He's writing, this is now as an older man. We looked at Psalm chapter 13 when David was a young man and he was running from crazy, jealous King Saul. And now David finds himself later on in his life uh, that he's running again, this time from from his own son, Absalom, who's taken his kingdom, not what David expected at this phase and season in his life. How could it be what he expected at this point? But many, in fact, the vast majority of Bible scholars believe that, that this Psalm 61 was written at some point when David was running from his own son. David writes these words, he writes it to the chief musician, this was probably a prayer of David, that then ended up being a psalm that they would sing um, to God. And he says, This hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. For thou, O Lord, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever. That I may daily perform my vows. It's a powerful, powerful psalm that David has written, no doubt, at a time of great anxiety and fear in his life. A time where his heart is grieving heavily. And he writes these words. He's praying this prayer to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that though this was written thousands of years prior, that that God, this is so applicable to us today. Lord, that none of us are in this exact situation as David, but God, we can relate because there's times, maybe even today for many, that God, we have that feeling of just being overwhelmed. We have that feeling of grief and anxiety and And God, I pray that we would take refuge and comfort in you today. God, I pray that you would be our strong tower, that God, you would lead us to that tower. You would lead us, Lord, to that shelter. God, we are helpless without you. We are incapable on our own, not just to help ourselves, God, but we're even incapable, Lord, to get to that strong tower. We need you to rescue us. And God, I pray that ultimately it will be so that we will sing your praises to your name forever. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. David's on the run. He leaves Jerusalem. And he has really an entourage that goes with him. He has his men, his soldiers, he has his family. They're fleeing the city really for this reason. David knows if he stays, there's going to be a bloodbath in Jerusalem. That Absalom, his son, for years had plotted and now has taken over his kingdom. And David knows if he stays in Jerusalem, there's going to be a lot of innocent lives that are going to get caught in the middle of it that will die. And not only that, but the Absalom would see that anyone in the city as, as people that have remained loyal to David. And so it's not going to go well for them. And so David makes the decision that once again, a man now in his 60s is going to live ...on the run, is going to live in the wilderness. David's no stranger to this. David's equipped for this, and David just doesn't think this is the season of life he's going to be doing this in. But David is leaving Jerusalem, and the overwhelming grief and fear and anxiety come on him. And he's crying out to God, a heart that's broken, a heart that's anxious... And it is at that moment, at that time, somewhere in that time frame, that many believe this is when this psalm was written. And it's important to know the background here. Because I think a lot of times when, when we're dealing with maybe heavy grief or heavy anxiety, it's easy to maybe look at Scripture and to think, when people went through that, that it's just way different than my situation. But yet what we find is that David is in this situation... Partly because of his own choices. Partly because of things that he's done. Partly for things that he didn't do. And this goes way back. This goes way back, years and years prior to decisions that David made that are now affecting him today. But also, David is feeling this not just because of his own decisions, but because of the actions and decisions of others. And so that being said, all of us can relate to this. That maybe the grief, the anxiety is because of things you brought on yourself. And maybe you have that overwhelming shame and guilt in your life right now. That maybe Satan whispers in your ear how that you brought all this on yourself. And you deserve this. And you, you're worthless. And, and life would be so much better and easier if you wouldn't have. If you would have only. And he whispers those accusations. And maybe that's you today. Maybe it's choices others have made. Maybe as a parent, you're grieving because choices that your kids have made, your adult children, and you thought you did things right and you tried to raise them for, for God and they went a different path or maybe you didn't. And so some of that weight is on you as well. And maybe you're here like so many in our church right now that are just overwhelmed with grief of just of your failing health or a loved one's failing health. You've gotten bad news. About a loved one. You personally have gotten bad news. And that anxiety. That weight is so heavy. You can relate to these words. Your heart is overwhelmed. It's just heaviness. It's just heaviness that's there. So David is on the run from his son. And this goes way back. See David when he was king. And when he was probably in his early 50's. David made a horrific decision in his life. David saw the woman Bathsheba. If you grew up in church, you know this story. David and and Bathsheba. David saw Bathsheba. Bathsheba was was bathing on a rooftop. That seems so odd to us. But yet this would have obviously been a cultural thing at the time. And, And David inquires about her. He wants to know who this is. And he asks, who is this woman? They say, well, David, that's Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Wife, David. David has her brought to the palace. David spends the night with her. David probably spends multiple nights with her. He sends her home and thinking that no one knows. No one found out except the people in his circle. And after all, David is king. What are they going to do? What are they going to say? Probably nothing because he's king. But then David gets word that Bathsheba... Is pregnant. And here's the problem. Bathsheba's husband Uriah wasn't home. He was out fighting and out in battle. So David panics. And so what does he do? He does what all of us do. We try to manage the outcome. We, we try to. Instead of repenting then. Instead of confessing then. We just dig ourselves deeper. Right? We can relate to that. Maybe you're there. And, and, and I'm not accusing you of this exact you know, sin of adultery. I'm just saying like, that's how human, our human nature is. We try to cover up and, 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 and maybe you've experienced some of that. Well, David then forms this genius plan. Well, I'm going to have Uriah come home. I'm going to call him off the battlefield, tell him, go home, enjoy the comforts of your house, enjoy your wife. And so, so David does that. The only, only thing is though, Uriah comes home and word gets back to David. Uriah is sleeping on his front porch. Well, that's a problem. This isn't going to help David cover up, uh, cover this up with Bathsheba. David inquires what's going on, Uriah. I told you to go home. I told you to relax, take some time off the battlefield. And, but Uriah just has such character and, and really just concern for, for his own men that he's leading. And he says, why am I going to come and enjoy comfort When my men are out there fighting, sleeping on the ground and out on the battlefield, he's like, how could I come and enjoy that knowing they're out there in battle? So David calls him in and gets him drunk, points him towards home, go home. And Uriah still doesn't go in and physically be with his wife. So now David, once again, he's just digging deeper. And by the way, the. The the scripture spares no detail here, right? This is just, I mean, it's honest to a fault, right? It's like people say, oh, you, you guys just made, Christians just made up stuff that they wanted. Like, really? Like, this isn't something we'd make up, right, about the patriarchs or about the heroes of our faith, right? It's just real, it's genuine, it's raw. So David has another plan. David tells Uriah, the captain of his army, He says, here's what you're going to do. He says, when the battle gets hot, first of all, I want you to put, Joab, I want you to put Uriah, where there's going to be the heat of the battle. Put him there. And then when the battle, when the heat turns up, I want you to withdraw your best troops away from him. This was a death sentence for Uriah. This was David, once again, just digging deeper, trying to manage this outcome. And that's exactly what happened. Uriah was placed in the heat of the battle. When the battle got hot, they pull back the troops and Uriah dies in battle. So what does David do? David, this generous, benevolent, loving king, calls the poor widow Bathsheba into the palace. What a nice guy, David. This is what people think. What a generous king. A widow in in that time would have a hard time surviving. And so David is looked at as, oh, this generous, loving king king. And David thinks that he's managed the outcome. He thinks that he's managed things and he's, he's covered everything up. And yet what we fail to remember and realize even in our own life, that sometimes the consequences for our sin, they don't come immediately. And, and, and for every sin, for every sin, there's a built in consequence that comes with it. And it doesn't always happen right away. David thinks the outcome's been managed. God is going to send to David a prophet by the name of Nathan. So Nathan the prophet, some of you guys, you know this story. Like it just, it's crazy, like this story just, the story, the intrigue just builds. And it's just like, there's so many just, just different twists and plots with this. And so Nathan the prophet comes to David and he makes up this fictitious story. He makes up this story about this poor man who had very little, and then this this rich dude comes and he steals the the, steals the lamb, steals what little this man has, and that would be equivalent of of, taking away really his only livelihood that he had. And this guy that has all that has riches and that's wealthy, he comes and takes from this man that has hardly anything. Well, David's furious. And David's response is somewhat baffling to me. I don't really know the psychology behind this, but this not only happened with David's response. This is what happens today with people's response. That David, who himself was in sin, David himself, who had a whole lot of issues in his life that he was trying to cover. David, of all people, should be merciful. But what does David do? David is irate. David loses it. he flies off at the handle and says, I want to know who this guy is because he's going to die. Well, that wasn't the penalty for stealing, right? It was the restore fourfold. But man, David is ready to not only have justice done to this guy. He's going to go above and beyond that. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But so often the people that are the least merciful... The least gracious. The people that are all about, let's throw the book at them. You know, they, 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 they stole from the cash register. Give them the death penalty. Like, you, you see that, right? You read the comments on social media for when people get caught or they get in trouble. Sometimes the people, well, maybe you shouldn't if you do. But sometimes the people that are the most harsh. Sometimes the people that are, have the least mercy and grace. Many times. It's revealed later that they themselves have issues and sin in their own life. And some of that harshness, some of just that viciousness and anger is really a form of guilt in their life. Well, this is what happens with David. David's angry. David's like, I want to know who this is. And so what does Nathan say, David, you're the man, you're the man. You had this kingdom. You are king. You have all of these things. And what did you do? You saw the wife of another man. And you took her. And you thought because of your position and your power that you could do it. That you could get by with it. And that you could manage the outcome. And at this point, David breaks. David is broken. David is found out. And David is broken. David, who broke God's law, now is going to allow God's law to break him. But even though David's repentant, and even though he's broken over this, which, by the way, is a good response when we sin, amen, to be broken, to be repentant. But still, there's some consequences that David will face. Some, now soon, after Nathan comes to him. And some of those consequences are going to be years down road and many of those consequences are going to affect a lot of people in david's life may we all hear this young and old alike but especially the young people in this room know this that your sin your choices don't just affect you they affect so many and this is the case with david Fast forward years down the road, there's going to be a lot of family drama, you could say, because of this situation. I mean, some of you in here, some of you watching online right now, you think you have a dysfunctional family. Well, this family is just off the charts being dysfunctional. David has a son, Amnon, who is just burning in his heart with lust towards his half-sister, Tamar. And this is just so evil that, that, that Amnon just can't get his mind off of her. He's just, his heart is burning with lust. And apparently, she won't even give him the time of day. And so Amnon plans and plots to get Tamar alone. And then Amnon abuses Tamar. Forces her against her will. And she's saying this is evil. This thing should not be done. But yet, because he's stronger, he forces himself Honor, And then that lust that he has towards her turns to hatred. He just says, get out of here. Get out of my sight. Well, Absalom, Tamar's brother, brings her in. She comes and lives with Absalom. Absalom's furious, but Absalom doesn't do anything yet. Word gets back to David. David's heart is broken, but you know what David does? Nothing. You know what David says? Nothing after all. What would he say? What could he say? Who would David be to give moral advice to people on how they should live their lives? So David does nothing. Absalom does nothing, but he is furious with Amnon. And so what Absalom does is he waits and he plots and he waits for the right moment he calls a feast. He brings his brothers. And, you know, Amnon must have thought that everything now is past and everything's okay. I mean, Absalom is kind of reckless, kind of a powerful dude that could, if he wanted to do something, he would have already. I don't know what was going through Amnon's mind, but Amnon shows up and Absalom gets them good and drunk at the this big feast and party. And then Absalom's soldiers, Absalom's men come in and they kill Amnon. Some of the brothers flee and run. Absalom then flees north. David hears about this and he's heartbroken. And once again, he does nothing. Eventually, David's heart is now longing for Absalom. He misses Absalom. And it's such a weird relationship. Because we read about how David calls back and invites Absalom to come back to Jerusalem. Absalom does. But yet then David just ignores him. It's such a weird family relationship. It's such a weird family dynamic here. But Absalom obviously doesn't take too kindly to this. And so Absalom tries to get his attention. And he does by going after Joab. And and it's just a crazy story. I don't have time to go through all the details. But basically what Absalom ends up doing is Absalom ends up stealing the hearts of people. Absalom is a very persuasive person. And so Absalom, while in Jerusalem, whenever people would come, he would intercept them. He'd hear their problems. He'd hear their issues. He'd hear their concerns. And he'd offer advice. And then he would throw things out there like, yeah, too bad I wasn't king. You know, if I, if I was king, I would do this. Yeah, I think this David doesn't have the time of day for you. David's just old and... Who knows all the things he said, but he's very manipulative because he stole the hearts of people. And over time, Absalom gets knows he's got enough following, a big enough following. He knows he's got enough influence, and he knows he has enough power that Absalom overthrows and takes David's kingdom. David gets word of this, and apparently the rumors had been circling for years Because David's not all that surprised. He's heartbroken. But what does David do? He once again flees the city. He goes on the run. He knows if the battle takes place in Jerusalem, there's a lot of innocent people that will die. So David leaves. David goes to the wilderness. David's got got hundreds still of of loyal, probably thousands of loyal followers. David has men that are experienced warriors. What's going to happen? Fast forward. Spoiler alert. David's going to win, even though he's out they're going to lure Absalom and and, and their soldiers into the forest somehow, which is a huge, huge mistake because at that moment, strength and size of army means very little, but experience and wisdom and shrewdness mean a whole lot more. And David and his men are much more equipped and they're going to lure them into the forest and they are going to end up winning the battle. But that's a different sermon for a different day. David is on the run, and while he is fleeing from Absalom, again, the vast majority of Bible teachers think this is the background of when David is writing this. David has lost his kingdom. He's lost multiple sons. His own son, who is apparently his favorite son, is now trying to hunt him down. Not only that, David has a trusted counselor by the name of Ahithophel. And David gets word that his trusted counselor and advisor is in on this coup. David's broken by that. When David gets that word of that, it just crushes him even more. And this is interesting. An interesting note is Ahithophel was actually the grandfather of Bathsheba. Now, this might be some speculation, but I would say this. It seems that there was deep bitterness in the heart of Ahithophel that he never truly forgave David. And he was waiting for that moment. He could hurt David the most. And he betrays him. Now, that decision there with Ahithophel is eventually going to be the downfall of Absalom, though. Because Absalom's not going to follow his advice. And Absalom's kind of torn on what they should do. It's going to end up costing him the battle. But David, the point is, David is broken at this point. His own son has taken his kingdom. His trusted counselors betrayed him. Probably many people have betrayed him. And once again, now in his 60s, he's living in the wilderness and on the run. I guess you could say this. It would be safe to say, this is not how David saw his life going. This is not how he expected towards the end of his years to be. But this is where he's at. And all of that background that we took several minutes, sorry, that we took several minutes talking about is important. And here's why. Because I think that sometimes we fail to see the relevance of God's word in our life. Right. Sometimes we can approach and read the scriptures as, yeah, these guys were like these these heroes and giants of the faith that, man, they had their life together. And you know what? Sure, they went through problems, but not like what I've gone through. What I just described, could you just even imagine that level of dysfunction in a family? Can you imagine even David's own sin?" You know, some of you right now might be thinking, I'm glad David's feeling like this. He brought it all on himself. May I say this? If we have that attitude, it's probably because we have not recognized the need for God's mercy and grace in our life. But David was broken. David was repentant. But yet still there were consequences of David's sin and actions. And there were consequences of others' actions. And maybe for you today... You find your overwhelming grief and anxiety as a result of other people's choices, your parents' choices, a relative's choices, a friend's choices, maybe an adult son or daughter, their choices. That you found yourself now in a place of just overwhelmed with having to then deal now with what that means and the consequences. And know this, once again, our choices, our sin, don't just affect us. There's always, always a built-in consequence to every sin. And many times those consequences affect so many people around us. And David now is on the run. He's betrayed, he's hurt, he's anxious, he's grieving. What does David do? What can we do? What should we do? Well, here's what David does. The first thing is he cries out to God. He says, hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. David is crying out to God. And no matter where he was, no matter how hopeless and bleak the situation was, David's response was to cry out to God. And you and I, our response today... Needs to be to cry out to God. God. Please hear my prayer. Attend unto my prayer. No matter where you are. No matter how far you feel you've gone. No matter how dark the situation feels. No matter how hopeless it might seem. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. He says this from the end of the earth. No matter how far I go. No matter where I'm at. I'll cry out to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, he says this next, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David's recognizing his need for God. He says, God, I need you to lead me to the rock. Not only does David need shelter, not only does David need to get to this rock, but he needs needs for God to help him get to that place. And maybe you can relate to that today. Maybe the grief that just the anxiousness is so overwhelming That it's like, yeah, God, not only do I need you as my shelter, I need you to help me to even be able to get to that shelter. I need you to intervene for me. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Last week, even too, on accept the Lord, build the house. right? Just our utter helplessness and hopelessness without God. And David recognizes this. David's going to run to God for shelter. He says, thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Here's the thing. When we're anxious, when we're grieving, we're going to run to someone or something. And many times, many times we run to the wrong things. We run to the wrong people and it offers some help. It offers some numbness. It offers some consolation for a short time. But then what happens is we just dig that hole even deeper. We just push off that grief instead of going to God and just allowing our hearts to grieve. A couple of weeks ago we talked about just the need to sometimes lament. To lament. And those of you that that have, you know, strong personalities, by the way, men and women alike, right? That you feel like I'm just a self-motivator and a self-sustainer and and that many times We can have a really hard time with that, recognizing how helpless that we are and recognizing it's okay to just grieve and lament seasons of life. Because when we don't do that, what do we do? We run to the wrong things, the wrong people. Many people, they'll run to substances. In fact, some of you in here, you struggle today, still, maybe from years and years ago, you struggle with substance abuse. Maybe the struggle isn't a substance, it's pornography that you struggle with. This, by the way, st- the statistics are staggering. It's not something people like to talk about, not something we like to, 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 to dwell on. But the statistics of how many people who are believers that, or the churchgoers, attenders, the how, how, how many people struggle with pornography, and many times, you know what, it's like, well, we need to just set up this filter and have this accountability and have this, and all those things can be good. All those things can be helpful. But what I'm proposing is this, that many times those addictions, whether it's pornography, whether it's substances, many times we don't deal with the true root issue behind why we run to those things. We run to numb the pain. We run to, that that's our shelter sometimes, and a fortress for people, instead of running to God, instead of going to him. And maybe sometimes, honestly, it's harder when you run to God. Now, overall, no, we know that's what we need to do, but we just want that quick fix, numb the pain, take my mind off of it. For others, maybe it's not an addiction of that nature, but it's just, I'm going to pour everything just into my work. I'm going to pour everything just into this hobby and just to ignore and try to numb the pain. What I'm proposing is this. It's okay to run to God. It's okay to grieve and lament. It's okay to be honest and open with God. And here's what David does. He cries out to God. He asks God to lead him. He goes to God for his shelter. And for his rock. And then he's going to remember. He's going to remember the past faithfulness of God. Verse 3. I love this. For thou has been a shelter for me. And a strong tower from the enemy. We could spend a lot of time today. Just reflecting back on David's life personally. Of all the times God preserved him. And saved him. And all the times he was in trouble. And God came through for him. And how God was faithful. And David's remembering back. Now he's probably an older man. And he's remembering back, God, you have been a shelter for me in the past. But this gives him confidence that God will be his shelter now. This can give us confidence because God has been faithful in the past, that God will be faithful in the present, and that God will be faithful in the future. He says, For thou hast heard my vows, thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations, he knows that God is going to be his shelter again. And we can trust God will be our shelter. By the way, let me just say this. And I meant to say this earlier, but if you're here and you are struggling with an addiction, know this, that you're with people that love you and care for you. I think so many times what happens is the shame and the guilt of that overwhelms people. And so what happens is I can't be honest. And again, I'm not saying like, you know, be wise with it, right? Not everybody needs to know like everything you're struggling with, but there are some people that need to know. And there are some people that can walk with you through those struggles. That can point you to the truth of God's word. In some cases, though spiritually, it's, that, that's what the deepest root of it is. But sometimes those things are, are also emotional struggles. Sometimes those things are mental struggles that it's okay to admit that we need to get some help from gifted people that God has put in our life to help us with those things. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't feel like you can't come to someone for help because I promise you, I promise you that addiction to substances, I promise you that addiction to pornography will cost you far more than you ever will dream That it will cost you. What I'm saying is this. Here at our church, we have people that love you, that care for you. That aren't going to shame you and guilt you because of your struggles. But that we will point you to God. We will point you to people that can help walk with you through that. Amen? That's what the church should be. A place not to offer more guilt and condemnation and shame. But for hearts that are repentant, for hearts that want help, we should be a place that offers mercy and grace. Why? Because we have been given so much mercy and so much grace. Trust that God's going to bring you through it. David's remembering the faithfulness of God. He says he shall abide before God forever. He says this, so will I sing praise unto Thy name forever. David knows. He's like, God... I need you. You got to be my rock, my shelter. God, lead me to this rock. God, my heart's overwhelmed. But he says, I will. So I will sing praise unto thy name forever. And we have to know this. Trust that God will bring you through this. That there is life after whatever storm you're walking through. The anxiety, the depression, the grief. That there is life behind it. And that you don't have to wait to praise God once you're through it. That you can praise God through it right now. But there will come a day eventually. Eventually this situation in your life. The storm clouds will run out of rain. Eventually the sun will shine. Eventually there will be a better day. But before then praise God through it. Because God will preserve you. We see this glorious trust that David has. See, because God's endings are glorious, but God doesn't write boring stories, right? You don't watch movies. They don't make movies that are this couple falls in love. They get married and they live happily ever after the end. God doesn't write stories like that. See, we, we all get the endings. We all get the good endings, None of us are scratching our head about the good endings. But what we scratch our head at is the plot twist turns. What's inscrutable sometimes is the plot twists that are over our heads. The winding roads, the broken friendships, the broken relationships. The death of loved ones, the betrayal, the hurt, for many of you in this room, the physical ailments and suffering that you've you've been going through for so long. Think about those that have just received horrible news about a loved one and their physical condition and the, the short time they have left unless God intervenes miraculously. Those are what we scratch our head at. Those are what we wonder. What is God doing? See, God's providence is sometimes inscrutable, but we know that God is always faithful. God's glorious ending we read about. In Revelation 21, John has this vision of heaven in Revelation. And he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and first earth were passed away. And he said, he said, I, John, I saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down from god out of heaven prepared as a bride for her husband and i heard a great voice out of heaven saying the tabernacle of god is with men and he will dwell with them and he will be their god he himself will be with them and be their god they will be his people and god shall wipe away all tears from their eyes this is the glorious ending God writes stories with happy endings. This is reality. He says, behold, I make all things new. Don't judge the story right now of what you're going through halfway through. Don't judge it. Don't judge it when the plot twists are over your head and you don't understand what God is doing. David here is crying out to God, saying, God, my heart is overwhelmed. I need you to lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He says, you've been a shelter for me and a strong tower. He goes on to say, verse 6, thou wilt prolong the king's life. Some think this is even a, a, a reference to a messianic, a messianic psalm. But he says this. He shall abide before God forever. So I will sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. David has this trust. God, you're going to bring me through it. God, you've been a shelter and you will be a shelter. This is the glorious ending for all believers. If you know Christ, your ending will be glorious. Sometimes as we're walking through it, it's hard for us to comprehend. It's hard for us to understand, but this is where we see the Psalm of yes, lament. Yes. Of crying out to God, but it's also one of great faith. David's just raw. He's honest with his emotion here, but he's also expressing faith. He says, God, you're going to prolong the King's life. He says, I'm going to abide before God forever. Why? So will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. And maybe for us, we need to be reminded today that through the grief, through the anxiety, though it's real, though it happens. And it's not a lack of faith when you're going through those times. But the cure for that is that we anchor our faith in God, that we trust in him. That God is in control, that his faithfulness in the past is going to assure us of his faithfulness in the future. Let's pray.